Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. All right, can y'all make my friend Allison Allen feel welcome as she comes up? Love you, friend. Um, I could say a lot. I'm not going to say a lot. What I, would, what I do want to say is we are in the middle of, this is week two, of a four-week series called Through Her Eyes, where different women in our church community are bringing the word. And they're sharing stories of women whose lives were changed when they had an encounter with Jesus. And so Allison has been a dear friend for two plus decades, 25, 26 years. I don't even know anymore. Her husband, Jonathan, is there. Um, so we love these guys a whole lot. And they're moving to Knoxville. Woo! We're very excited to have them. So the next few weeks are a big transition for them as they're making their way out here. But we are just beyond thrilled that y'all are coming just to be a part of our church community. We love you guys. And I'm gonna stop talking so you can bring the word. Can I pray over us and you? All right. Well, Lord, thank you so much for Allison. God, for her heart for you, her heart for your word, and God, her love for the body of Christ. Thank you for that. And so, Lord, we just pray that all the time and the preparation, Lord, it would now just come to fruition. Holy Spirit, would you move in her and through her as she communicates all that you have laid on her heart. And Lord, we pray for us, for our ears, God, that we could hear what you have for us today. God, that we would be encouraged, we would be set free. God, that we could apply the things that we learn. And so we just commit ourselves to hear you and to respond to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you too. Well, my name is Allison Allen, and I always introduce myself by saying I'm a five foot twelve perimenopausal moss. <laughs> That's a perimenopausal mother of a sixth grader, comma, whom Jesus Christ absolutely ruined for the ordinary over 30 years ago. So that's my whole sermon, and I'm sticking to that. Amen. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> In just a moment, that five foot 12 phrase, I hope, will have more meaning as we go through today's teaching. Um, I do want to say thank you so much to Jake and Alex and the elders for allowing me to stand before you. It's such an honor, and it's something that I don't take lightly. I am the delighted uh, wife of Jonathan Allen. I always used to say to the Lord, I just want a man who loves you and a man with whom I can wear heels. (laughs) And I got both, and I'm very grateful for that. And then I am the delighted mother to two sons, one old covenant, Levi, and one new covenant, Luke. So we have one that is in college, almost 20, and we have a really cute redhead running around and shooting hoops after the service. So say hey to him. He'll love it. He loves a lot of attention. (laughs) I'm so thankful, too, for Kristen and her word. Last week, I was able to listen, and I thought she did a beautiful job taking us around that first lap. And so my heart today is to pick up the baton and go one more lap around the track to see what the Lord might speak to us from his word in this beautiful series through her eyes. I've entitled this, The Bluest Sky. The Bluest Sky. I have always had to fight against a slump, spiritually speaking and physically speaking. 
It's kind of funny the things that are so clear from our childhoods. And one of the things that's most clear, most crystalline from my childhood was when I first started to feel those first growth pains. Anyone remember those? How your hips would ache and your femurs would ache and you wanted to sleep all the time and you had all the stretch marks. I remember that crystal clear. Now, I also remember making the JV cheerleading team. And um, if you know me, I'm kind of a klutz, so it's sort of a miracle that I made any cheerleading team. But when we first started out, I was the height of everyone else. And then by the time we took the picture a year later, the skirt, remember this is the 80s, y'all, I'm dating myself. This is when we thought spiral rod perms were a really good idea, okay? The skirt was appropriately just a couple inches above my knee. And by the end of the year, when we took our JV photograph, I was in the back row in the middle, and that skirt was only a few inches below my posterior. What am I trying to say? I'm not trying to be inappropriate in any way. I'm saying that in one year, one year, one painful middle school year, I went from being kind of normal and average to well on her way to being as tall as a cedar. Now, any time that you're different in middle school, it's a thing. Any, anyone say yes and amen? Anything that makes you different is a thing. And for me, I won't go too deeply, this is not the point of what I wanna share today, but because we moved around a good bit in my uh, young years, uh, I became the target of some really significant bullying events. Not every day of my life was I bullied, but I had some very, very significant, very, very painful bullying events. And so you can imagine that my entire life, all I wanted to do was be like everyone else. And then additionally, all I wanted to do was to disappear. And so I began to slump. Why? because I wanted to be like everyone else. I have all these memories. Y'all remember the dreaded junior high school dances that would have taken place in a gym like this? When the 80s, I know that I'm so dating myself today, they would ring the auditorium with chairs like this and we girls would sit on the side and just hope for a guy to ask us to slow dance, right? We're just dying for it. And if I was ever asked to slow dance, I had to slow dance like this. Why? because I wanted to be the height of my dancing partner. I remember moving into theater. I have a, a background as an actor, and I can remember when I started to develop a little bit of a gift in theater, and by this time, y'all, slumping was a necessity if I was going to be able to do what I loved. Because in ninth grade, I would walk in and I would tower over every man in the theater, and theater is not known for attracting very tall men anyway. And so I knew that if I wanted to be a part I would have to lessen myself. I would have to be shorter than I really was. And so why am I sharing that with you? I'm sharing that to let you know that what started out as sort of a physical difference because of the emotional things that I was going through in some of those bullying events became an emotional difference. And then those things over the years, because how many of you know that the enemy of our soul never plays a fair? And if there's an opportunity, he will take it. And so those emotional differences became those spiritual differences. I would have done 
anything to be able to not check the none of the above box. I would have done anything to look like and feel like and be like anyone else. I could not during those years inhabit my stature. And the truth of the matter is I really didn't want to. And that brings me to the story that I want to tell today. I chose this particular story because I so deeply relate to her, and I suspect that there are many men and women in the house today who also relate to her story. You know, as we look at so many of the women that Jesus interacted with, the ones that are named, we think of Susanna, we think of Joanna, we think of Mary of Magdala that Kristen spoke of last week. We see him moving toward those women with love and care and value and honor. And every time I get to read one of those stories, I am blown away by the testimony of scripture. But there's another group that I love even more than all those named characters in the scripture, and that would be those anonymous women in scripture, the ensemble members, the ones where we don't actually know their name. They're not accredited. They don't have notoriety, but let me say, they play an outsized part in the grand narrative that God is writing. They live on the societal edges. They live in the spiritual nooks and crannies. And how many of you know that our Jesus is drawn to the edges? Jesus is drawn to the periphery. Jesus is drawn to those spiritual nooks and crannies. We have so many concealed, unseen by human eyes, unseen, unnamed characters in Scripture. Um, I think immediately of the woman at the well. She's referred to as the... Samaritan woman. Well, most thinkers will tell you that the Samaritan woman without a name is the very first evangelist of the gospel. Because after she has this earth-rending conversation with Jesus at the well, what does she do? She runs to the town and she says, come see about a man. Come see about a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Now, I want to say that is the weirdest evangelistic tactic in the book, right? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the one? She's an unnamed woman. I also think of the group that's called, I don't want to, I think Diane might be going there, but there's a group in Luke 8, and it says, and many others, many others were with Jesus. Many other women traveled with Jesus. So these anonymous women speak to me. They, They touch my heart. And I think if we were to get real How many of you can assent to the fact that most of us in this life don't play the leading character? We don't. Most of us are called to secondary characters or tertiary characters or ensemble members. And maybe we change a bit and maybe there's a moment where we step in the spotlight because the Lord has said, hey, I need you here for this moment for my glory. And then I need you just as obediently to back up and play your part over here. And so in our culture, it is so easy to place undue emphasis on the name characters, the people that are in the spotlight, the people that get the applause. And in God's economy, so often it is the folks on the narrative, on the edge of the narrative that he is using in unique ways. So I want to start out with my favorite unnamed woman of scripture She's often called the woman with a disabling spirit. 
She's often called the bent woman. Sometimes she's called the woman healed on the Sabbath, or as I'd like to call her today, a woman unfurled. A woman unfurled. If you've got your scripture, I'd love for you to open to Luke 13. If you uh, check out your Bible on your phone, I'd love for you to scroll there. Today I'll be uh, reading and we'll be looking at some longer passages of scripture. So feel free to do that here in the room or do it when you go home and check out these things and see if they be so. But I'm going to read, this is the ESV version. We're going to be in Luke 13. Let me get my readers on. This is a new experience for me, bear with me. We're gonna go from verse 10 all the way through verse 21. This is her story. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and do not, not on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew, and it became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That's the big picture today. That's the big grand narrative. And what I want to do first is sort of pull out a microscope and go through the text and talk about a few things that stood out to me in the text as I was preparing. And then I wanna ask the Holy Spirit, and I'm asking you to ask him right now, Holy Spirit, use this story to bring healing to me, amen? Use this story to transform me. Use this story to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ in ever-increasing ways because the word is active. It is living. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit to do that even as we look more granularly at the text. And after we do that, my hope then is to turn the spotlight on the healer of our souls. And that, of course, would be Jesus the Christ. We're gonna go through several things in the text and then we'll move on, hopefully, to some application. The first word that I would love to draw your attention to in the text is behold. Everyone say, behold. Now, scholars will tell us that any time a writer uses the word behold, they're trying to bring a change, a shift in the action. And so what it's saying to us is that what comes after is what? It's important. It's important. The word itself means look, look. 
pay attention. The way I think of it, if I just kind of Allisonize it, is be here now. Behold. What's coming after the word? Well, it's another important phrase that I would love for us to look at. It's four little words. There was a woman. Behold. Look, pay attention. Be here now. There was a woman. Luke, the beloved doctor and writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, of course, records more instances of women in the Gospel narrative than any of the other synoptic Gospels or John. And according to many teachers, there are approximately 13 encounters or unique mentions of women that are unique only to Luke. Now, if you know anything about Luke, you will know that he's actually writing to a more Gentile audience, a more Greco-Roman world. And the things that he writes in his Gospels demonstrate without question the validity, the honor, and the value that Jesus grants women. Look, there was a woman. The next phrase is this phrase, disabling spirit. Disabling spirit. That word disabling means incapacity. It means weakness. It means limitation. I hope maybe we're hearing this through the lens of what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us. Limitation, illness. The word that is rendered disabling can also mean timidity, but in this context, it specifically means an illness. And the fact that the writer here, Luke, says disabling spirit He's making clear that this disablement also has this demonic element attached to it, okay? So there is a a, a physical situation going on, but there is also a spiritual situation going on. There's a malevolent spiritual force at work. And so as we move through, I would love for you to ask yourself, I'm asking myself, I've been asking myself for two to three weeks, Lord, is there some illness, limitation, timidity in me? Maybe even that the enemy has wrapped his arms around and made it something that I've carried for a really long time that you want to bring to the fore. I'm asking him to do that for me today. The next thing I want to talk about is the length of time. 18 years. I've read the story I don't know how many times. And even though cognitively I read the phrase and I go, well, that's a really long time. I don't think I have ever slowed down in Luke's narrative and gone, what would it have felt like to have been uh, tormented by this disabling spirit for 18 years? Now, I'm not really good with math and there are different ways to measure a Jewish year, but on the low estimate, y'all, we're talking about 6,354 days or 152,000 hours That's so hard for us to imagine. I I can barely wrap my brain around it. I was kind of asking the Lord for something. Lord, help me just get a taste of how long 18 years would be. And for me, just dropped it into my heart. I've never heard God audibly ever in my entire life. But sometimes when God speaks to me, I say it's louder than mere sound. And I was asking him, Father, help me understand the length and the duration of this woman's torment and just dropped into my heart was from diapers to diploma. From diapers to diploma. And I know that that's not everyone's story in this house, and I don't want to assume that it is, 
But in that instant, I thought, my goodness, this is an epic, E-P-O-C-H, of a life. This is from being cradled, you know, in the crib to moving into the dorm. 18 years. All right, what was going on with this woman for 18 years? Well, she was bent. And bent means exactly what the text says. It means to actually be doubled up or bent over in a crippling position. Um, I was wondering if you might go with me for a moment. I feel like you're a pretty game congregation. And one of the things in this title that I I so love that Jake gave us for this month-long series is through her what? Through her eyes. Through her point of view. So I'm a bit of an actor. It's it's kind of, I've mentioned that to you. And so sometimes when I can involve myself physically in just a small way, I can understand and I can have more compassion and comprehend a little bit more deeply what the scripture might be saying. So if you're able, I'm not able because I have a bit of a neck injury. So if if you do, you just hang with me. But if you're able for the next 30 seconds, that's all we're going to do, just 30 seconds, I would love for you to look absolutely down at the floor, all right? And I would like you to take in visually every single thing you can see. Now, don't lift your head up. You can look left to right. We're not on film, all right? We're not doing a really deep, intense, consecrated prayer meeting right now, okay? But for 30 seconds, just look at everything you can see on the ground. What'd you see? Shadows? Who said it? Shadows. That's, that's really great. Dirt. What'd you see? What? Feet. What'd you see? Anybody else? Scratch, scuff, scuff marks. I love that. Shadows, feet, scuff marks. To the wood. Can you imagine, y'all, if for 18 years, the point of view of your life was shadows, pitch of the wood, scuff marks, dirty feet, as it would have been back then. The leavings of animals, the dust. Now, we cannot say for certain that the bent woman couldn't in some way lift her head or lift her eyes in some small regard. But the scripture says very clearly that she is bent and doubled over. So the perspective, life through her eyes would have been a perspective that was down, down, oppressed, depressed, earthbound. This was the perspective that she had lived her life. I wonder, I was just thinking this last week, I wonder if this woman, makes me wanna cry, could hear the birds but could never see them. I wonder if this woman, bound for 152,000 plus days, could feel the ache in her bones of a storm rolling in but could never lift her eyes to see the clouds gathering in the sky. I I wonder, y'all, what this woman could have heard and felt, but never seen? Did she live her life feeling the sun rise and warm her back 
but not really comfortably at least, being able to lift her eyes and see it rise on, or sink on the horizon. We can't say for certain, but what we do know for certain is that she did not have the normal perspective of someone who could inhabit their full physical stature. The next phrase I wanna talk about is, is probably my favorite. It's then Jesus saw her. I wanna kick it into low gear if I can for just a moment and we could just slow down a bit. Jonathan's gonna do the flashing hands when I need to wrap it up. But here friends, um, we are not, I promise you, I'm not gonna go over, promise you, promise you. I'll go right up to it, but I won't go over, all right. Um, when we see the phrase, then Jesus saw her, what we are not talking about is visual perception, just. I mean, obviously he sees her. There is a visual apprehension or apprehending of the woman, but the word here actually means to know, to possess information about, to understand, to comprehend the meaning of something. And though we don't always know the difference, I can't always articulate the difference, but how many of you know the difference when somebody just sees you and somebody what? Sees you. We all innately know that difference, though we may not have the words for it. When you walk into the room and somebody glances, oh, she's here, Allison's here. Or you come into the room and the eyes light up with delight and, and the body moves toward with welcoming and someone sees you. We know the difference. Well, y'all, Jesus sees the woman. He doesn't just see the woman. He sees the woman. He comprehends her. He knows her. Y'all, in the middle of teaching, in the middle of bringing parables about the kingdom and speaking of judgment, he allows his teaching in the synagogue that day to be interrupted by this woman. And here's the question that the Lord asked me. Do you know, Allison, that I am so thrilled to have my life interrupted by you? You're not a bother to our Heavenly Father, ever. He's not too busy. There aren't bigger things that he's dealing with. You're never, here's the deal, y'all. We are never an in Christ. If we are in Christ, and we have made that decision, we are never, ever, ever an interruption to our Heavenly Father. And then the second question that I felt he just kind of jogged me with is, Allison, do you allow yourself to be interrupted for my kingdom work? That's the harder question for me. I need to grow in this grace. Have I become so busy in my to-do list and A to B to C to D, because I'm a doer, I'm a type A person, I love to work. If I have a drug, which I don't, but if I had one, it's work. I love to work. The motto of the college I graduated is, my heart is in the work. My heart has always been in the work. But I also know the Lord has been trying to draw me out and grow me in the grace that, and, and help me understand that even kingdom work is not more important than kingdom people. And so that we have to learn and, and ask the Lord to say, Father, Build in me that heart that I could be in the middle of a teaching. I could be in the middle of a crowd of people and you could say that one. See her, speak to her. That gentleman, see him, speak to him, see her. Um, one of my favorite stories in the scripture, I was gonna go turn there, but I, I, I feel like we need to go somewhere else. So I'm just gonna do it very lightly. 
occurs in Genesis 16. I'm just going to truncate it very quickly. There's a woman named Hagar. Hagar is an absolute outsider. She's outside the covenant. Most scholars believe that Abraham uh, picked her up. That's kind of a harsh way to talk about a person, but procured her in some way in Egypt or around those environs. And so she is an enslaved person in the household. God has promised Abram and Sarai that they're going to have lots of children. Sarai gets impatient about it and basically hatches this plot and this ploy and basically says, look, Abraham, Abram, take Sarah, uh, take Hagar. And then she says, maybe I can get a baby through her. So it's, it's really a very cruel utilization of another human being. Well, there's a lot that goes on and Hagar gets very fed up and she runs away as probably would any of us into the desert. Now, there's an interesting encounter that happens in the desert as she is running away from this desperate, desperate situation as a desperate, desperate woman. It says this in Genesis 16, then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And I just wanted to ask those two questions today. Isn't it beautiful that, that God sees Hagar? He knows her. He says, Hagar, I understand your situation. I understand that you're an enslaved person in the house of Sarai. Isn't it beautiful? Now, she's not even a person of the covenant, an outsider, a less than, a nook and cranny on the spiritual edges. And it's an angel of the Lord that says, I know your situation. I know the state in which you live. And then the angel of the Lord asks these two beautiful questions, y'all. Where have you come from? Where are you going? There are, there's nothing in my life like the questions of God to begin to bring up out of my heart what's really going on. And so if you're in a a difficult place, if you're in a desert season right now, maybe all you need to hear today is that the Lord God sees you, the Lord God knows you, and the Lord God is interested in your story, amen? He's interested in saying, where you been? That means what you been through. Where you coming from? Remember in the 70s, it was like, where are you coming from? I'm really dating myself. (laughs) We've got God Almighty saying, where are you coming from? In other words, where have you been? And where are you going? And I am with you equally in both places. Where have you been? Where are you going? All that is happening in this encounter, and it is so astonishing. I'll read this. It goes on. There's a blessing that's pronounced, and scholars will say it's actually commensurate with Abraham's blessing for her offspring. It's pretty astonishing, but she goes on. The scripture goes on to say, so she named the Lord. Who named the Lord? Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roi, for she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. Have I, have I actually seen the one who sees me? 
So in the Old Testament, y'all, we have Almighty God, because scholars will tell you the angel of the Lord is actually a physical kind of manifestation of God himself. We have Almighty God seeing the outsider. And all the way in Luke 13, we have the incarnate God in the person of Christ Jesus seeing the outsider. El Roy and Jesus both see the outsider. Scripture goes on with Jesus calling her over or forward. This is really interesting to me because that word call means to call out, actually desiring a response. I was thinking about this. If I called your name out right now from the back row and said, come forward, what would that do to you internally? I know exactly where it takes me to. It takes me back to fourth or fifth grade. Remember when we still had chalkboards? Some of you had whiteboards, and, and the people that have iPads are like, I have no idea what this thing is of coming up in front of the class and doing anything. But I have visceral memories of Allison come up and diagram the sentence, which was very difficult for me, or Allison come up and complete the math, which was very difficult for me. So when you talk about being called forward to me, it actually doesn't comfort me in any way. It causes abject terror. Anyone else? Most of us don't want to come forward, and yet here, remember, don't forget, she's been crippled by a disabling spirit. She's been on the outside of the societal structure, and Jesus sees her, and then Jesus calls her forward. And he doesn't call her forward to shame her. He doesn't call her forward to make an object lesson out of her. He calls her forward to restore and heal her. It's very interesting to me. I've been, Jake and I were talking about this last night with Jonathan and Amy. I've been down a really deep rabbit hole on the physical structure of the synagogue. I'm not going to take you down that rabbit hole today, I promise. And the church said, amen. But synagogues were really interestingly constructed in the first century. There are some differing opinions as to how they actually would have been laid out. But you would generally have the, the one that was teaching or speaking on some kind of podium somewhere in the middle. Behind them would have been the seats of honor. Remember when Jesus says, don't take the seat of honor? That was reserved for really special people, maybe the benefactor of the synagogue to sit in. And then they would often have a representation of the ark. So y'all, imagine the scene. Men and women packed in, because the synagogues were not segregated in Jesus' day. That didn't come till later. Piled in, sitting on the ground. He calls her forward in front of everyone. And though the scripture doesn't say this, this is just an Allison thought, okay? So I need, to, I need to put that umbrella of mercy over what I'm about to say. But because I don't think anything Jesus does is a mistake, amen? And I think everything he did had purpose, though some of those we will not know until we get to heaven. Can you imagine a woman oppressed by the enemy who looks differently than everyone else approaching the seat of honor? He's restoring, y'all. He's about to restore her physical body. But he is also restoring her honor. Come up here. Come closer. Come forward. It's, um, it's really fascinating to me that in this place, 
after he sees her, he summons her, and then he says, woman, you are freed. Woman, you are healed. And then to me, the most incredible part of the story takes place is that he touches her. He touches her. Um, in the mores and the morals of that day and age, you didn't touch, men and women didn't touch one another publicly unless it was a familial relationship. And even then, it was very much frowned upon. And Jesus touches her. Here's my question for you. What does Jesus want to touch in your life? What bentness has existed in your life for too long? What place has the enemy kept you bound for too long? The things that you don't ever speak about. The struggle that you don't ever share at small group. The pain that has festered at the bottom of your soul and spirit for many, many years. If Jesus were here today and he saw you, knew you, understood you, and called you forward and pronounced healing upon you and then touched you, what y'all would he be touching? Friend, I've walked with Jesus for over 30 years and I'll be the first to say that I still have places that would fit this account in every way. Places of fear, places of shame, places where the enemy has entangled my feet and I've not been able to run as freely as I need to. These are the places that I believe through the scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit, he's inviting us to bring to him that he might touch them. When Jesus touches her as he touched the leper, in another account, as he touched the girl that had died, as soon as he touches her, the word records that she is transformed. And y'all, what does it say? She stands up what? Straight. And begins to glorify God. I can just imagine her with a posture of praise a posture of thanksgiving, a posture of glorification. So here's my question. Where are you not standing up straight in Christ Jesus? Where are you still bent over? And Jesus is saying, it's time to stand up straight. Y'all, our healing is his glory, amen? Our healing is his glory, whether we're talking about something physical, I still believe that the Lord in his sovereignty can heal any way, anyhow, any time that he wants. But for me, the greatest miracles in my life haven't actually been the physical miracles, they've been the emotional, spiritual miracles. Because when I finally got to college, I'm gonna really go through this very quickly. When I finally got to college, and I was at Carnegie Mellon University. It was a really intense conservatory, and I was in acting class 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every night, all kinds of different ways of working in the, in the craft. The one thing I heard from my teachers over and over again was stand up, stand up straight, stand up straight. I couldn't do it. I was put on probation because I struggled in the physical classes because I couldn't, I couldn't inhabit my height. And around about this time, I made my way to a, Bible-believing uh, 
spirit-led church. And I will never forget when one of my small group leaders had every single one of us stand in front of a mirror, look at ourselves, which is always lovely when you're 18 or 19 years old. And then she had us take the scripture and read over ourselves Psalm 139. Oh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And at the beginning, when we would begin to do these things, all I could see was all 84 inches of me. And I could see the hunched over stature of me. And slowly, bit by bit by bit, God's word, the presence of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit did war with the lie that I had believed all my life, that it was better to make myself something I wasn't rather than to be everything he made me to be for his glory. And bit by bit, and inch by inch, and vertebra by vertebra, I began to stand up straight because of the power of who he is. I happen to believe, as I've been praying, that there are some folks who don't have the exact same story, but know exactly what that journey is. There are some places that the Lord is calling you forward into some service, into some ministry, into some places where you might be seen for his glory, not for us, for his glory to be that he might use everything you are for his glory. Uh, I wanna uh, finish today by just, reading a first-person narrative. It won't take long. And my hope here is to just throw the spotlight back on the great healer, Jesus himself. Um, I'm working on a a project where I look more deeply at the hidden uh, characters of Scripture, and so I've been writing these first-person narratives. And um, I just want to see if we can go into her shoes, if we can stand in her shoes, and if we can see life through her eyes for just a minute more. Um, if you want to, you can keep your eyes open, but if you want to, you can, yeah, that'd be great. Oh yeah, Alex, yes, yes, yes. We're gonna create a moment, we're gonna try to. <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan's like, Alex, Alex, I can't. Um, but if you want to, I would invite you just to kind of lean back, kind of like John leaned back on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper that position of safety, that position of intimacy, just lean back. And uh, if you want to be totally appropriate at this moment to close your eyes, you don't have to at all. But I'm just gonna invite you to try to step into her shoes. And as I read this last, it'll just be three, four minutes, that's it. Just imagine what your process of healing would be with Jesus. Imagine what it would mean to finally unfurl after 18 years of being bent. Oh, it's me. He looks straight at me. I can tell his gaze does not turn away. And every eye turns with his glowering gazes brutal brows. The teacher means to make a mockery of me, 
to hold me up as an embodiment of the Almighty's displeasure. I know it is so as it has ever been so. I drop my eyes back to where they belong, down, down, down. I should turn and go. The crowd will part like the Red Sea to let me pass, careful not to stand too close to me, and I can return, I can return to what? To what shall I return? To what have I ever returned? But the tormentor's cruel lips and eyes that wait to look me over, to judge me as a thing less than nothingness. I can feel his gaze upon me, but I cannot quite see it. What compels me toward the melody of this man, I cannot say, but my feet cannot stay still. You can't, you mustn't, it isn't safe. But I feel love. I feel fight, I feel victory, I feel vindication, I feel honor. I have never seen such a thing in another's eyes. Yet there they are. But this man is not just an another other. This man has the power of the gale and the fury of love in his words, in his eyes. Seeing me, he calls me. Come forward. Come forward. I feel myself moving against my own history. Each step is painful, but not as painful as the clucking of tongues showing their disgust as I pass by. Each footfall, each step to reach the one whose words shut up forever the voice of shame and batter bondages until they are just dust. We have all heard the stories of children coming back from the grave and those oppressed like myself ride it again like a ship we have heard. I reach him. I'm too close to lift my eyes. His feet are my only vista. And then he says these words, woman, you are free from your infirmity. Woman seen, woman called forward, woman freed. And then the teacher touches me, just here. The miracle of my spine is far less than the miracle of his touch. The enemy's final lies are unbinding and unwinding. As my spine begins to obey the one who commands the winds and the grave, my height grows back inch by inch like a bent stalk rising to the sun, I rise. I struggle to stay on my feet because the center of me is changed now. The unadulterated light nearly blinds me, but I adjust. It's been eons since I saw the horizon, since I witnessed the circling birds, the tops of trees, the tops of heads. The view is so beautiful. My tears are my food, they fill my mouth. As I mouth without sound, it is all true. It is all true. You, Jesus, are all true. They fight over me, but even in this, he triumphs. He says, she is a daughter. She is a daughter of the promise of Abraham. His words war with the curse I have always lived un under. I am no daughter. Abraham would never claim me. But with these words, the teacher grafts me back into the family tree. 
And he says that this she, this once bound she is part of God's creation too and she will never be cut off again. Their clucking tongues cannot do it. Their hatred cannot do it. Their self-righteousness cannot do it. No power of earth can undo what this Jesus has done to be seen, to be healed, to be touched, to finally unfurl and to see, finally see the bluest sky. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are ever and always bringing redemption. You are ever and always bringing healing. You are ever and always finding us lost in the crowd, bent, disabled, bound by the enemy. And you are always bringing us freedom because you are freedom. You are healing. You are truth. You are restoration. You are vindication. You are victory. You are honor. And in these places of our healing, Lord, we want to be like the bent woman, finally standing up straight, lifting our hands to the sky and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm just going to ask a question here real quick. I'm not going to belabor it. If you've got a place and you can... If you've got a place that you feel like you've been crippled by the enemy for a long time, or you've got a place that you definitely feel Jesus calling you forward, but you've been really, really afraid, I'm not going to call you up front, and we're not going to look around the room. Would you just slip up a hand if that's you? Okay, slip it up high. I'll go first. Okay, it's okay. If you see somebody with a hand on them, would you put your hand on them? It's okay. This, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, can we pray here? Thank you. Okay. Everybody's got just somebody praying. Okay. Let's pray specifically. Father, we pray for every person that raised a hand and said, I've got a place that I feel tormented. I've got a place where I've been bent for far too long. I've got a place that I know you're calling me forward into something new, and I'm terrified of it. Father, we pray for our friends, our brothers, and our sisters, that you would do only what you can do, and that you would call them forward. You would lay your hand on the place where they hurt. You would give them courage to respond when you call their name. Lord, for some of my friends, it's just the first step that we're struggling with. So give us wisdom for the first step. Give us grace for the first step. Lord, I also just want to pray for anyone who has been bound by the words of others, people that have spoken over their lives. You can't do this. You can't do that. You'll never be anything. You're not worth much. I pray that the holy word of God and the living embodiment of God, the living word of God would do war with those lies and set us free. Set us free. Yeah. 
there was a moment that may have sounded, uh, it went by sounding like a math error. Um, and it, I just couldn't get past it or let it go. So I know it was a word for me, and I just want to share and maybe pray in case it's for anyone else. When you said that someone encouraged you to stand up to your full 84 inches, and I just real quick did the math, and I'm like, that's seven feet. Oh. <laughs> and it was a prof- prof- it was a prophetic math error. Um, it's 72 physically. And the call was to stand up to your full 84 inches. Um, so in the spirit, I, I just felt like even as you're praying, it's, it, it's, there's so much hope in not just, we're not just standing up to what we can see in the physical. The Lord is healing us and bringing us up to beyond how tall we actually are. That's good up to how he sees us. And so there's even even more. It's not just restoration to what we've known. That's good. It's more. And so again, like I'm taking that home with me, but just in case it's for anyone else, there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Man, wow. Thank you, friend love you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for standing tall this morning. Um, I'm not going to belabor things. Y'all have been very patient. Um, Take hold of what the Lord wants to give you this morning. Don't let the enemy steal that. Don't leave here thinking someone else took that home and I missed it. The Lord wants to heal. He sees you. He loves you. Receive what he's giving you. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you've done here in this place today. Thank you for what you're continuing to do in our lives individually as a church. We love you and we worship you. And Jesus, we join our hearts with the woman who was transformed and we glorify you because of who you are and what you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.